Preparing for communion, we're in Romans chapter 2. If you grabbed one of the Bibles on the way in, it's page 937. 937. <clears throat> Otherwise, you've got to find it yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. All right? And we'll have the verses up here behind us. But we're in, we're in Romans chapter 2, and as Todd already mentioned, it's not what you know, but what you do. Very interesting, this passage. Romans 2, verses 1 through 16. But first, I have something from the farm. Uh, you, a lot of you saw the pictures. If you don't get my emails, uh, give me your email number, stick it in the box, or give it to me, send it to me, because uh, I sent out a weekly update, and I sent out pictures of the farm. And it's just like, you know, a Hallmark movie, only it's not always like that. All right? It's not always like that. I'm going to show a video here in just a moment <clears throat> to show you what it's like actually on the farm. It it's a, involves a rabid raccoon, a rabid raccoon. And before watching, I just want to warn you, this is farm content. Uh, uh, you know, what are they, a PG, what do they call it, FG, you know, anyway. Uh, but it's like watching the old Yeller movie. So I'm just going to tell you. Uh, the rabid raccoons are a big problem, big, big problem. Uh, my dad and sister both have had run-ins with raccoons and got all the shots, all the crazy shots you have to get. So it's a big problem. If, if there's a raccoon, you guys, you see a, a raccoon by your garbage can, it's not a big deal. But on the farm, if you see a, ra- a raccoon, it is a big deal because they don't just got wandering and be friendly. They're not, they, they know to stay away from people and people with dogs and people with guns and all that. So if you see a raccoon, you just assume that's what you're taught. It, you assume it's rabid and it usually almost is. So going to show the video, but I just want to say this. My dad's not the one shooting. He went and got the gun, but uh, he was a little, my dad's a little shaky. He needs some knee surgery, but he's a little shaky on the, the ground, so he asked if anybody else could do it, and Mark stepped in. Uh, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Van Reeth, Sarah's husband, stepped in. He's not just good with, you know, tech stuff. He's good with guns, apparently, but he's proved himself to be a true farmer. He saved the day, uh, and so we'll, we'll let you watch the video first of all, so. This is a perfect angle. Should we move away? Oh, no. Did he actually move? Oh, no, 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 no. It'll come down there. It'll probably be rabid. Oh, he got it. Oh, he got it. Oh, it did die. It's like, it's shooting again. It's bleeding. You have to kill it. You got to kill it. It's bleeding. It's moving. It's moving. Oh. Lucas is not happy. <laughs> it's peeing everywhere. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the thing. <laughs> no. Oh. Finish it. That's what life is like on the farm, right? Now, you, the loudest crying, you hear the all kids screaming. The real crying was Lucas. Little Lucas was crying because he had to leave the sandbox. The sandbox was right, he was, you could see the record right above him. We had made him move. He was so mad he had to leave the sandbox. That's why he was screaming. Uh, but it was a great effect, wasn't it? And, uh, but, but Laurel was crying and some of the non-farmer women in our family were tearing up and walking away. But, uh, but so, uh, traumatized, but uh, 
it, 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 that, that is life on the farm. Like, to us, that was like nothing. But everybody's like, you know, wow, this is really crazy. How do you do this? I'm like, that's nothing. But I'm not telling you the other stories. But anyway, that's nothing. But uh, rabid raccoons are a big, big problem there. Uh, we'll talk about more about raccoons a little bit later. So we're going to see Paul, though. We're going to see Paul take a traumatic shot today. He's going to take a traumatic shot at some rabid individuals. Some rabid individuals. And we saw last week how in Romans 1, how the world desperately needs the gospel. We've been seeing the last couple weeks, not last week, Josh was there, but before the last couple weeks, the world desperately needs the gospel. We talked about the unrighteous world, how the Gentiles are under God's judgment. We talked about that. We can immediately, uh, we can easily imagine Paul's uh, former radical cohorts, you know, he was part of this radical group of the Jewish uh, radicals. You can imagine them shouting, Amen, as they're reading his letter to the Roman or hearing what he's saying to the Romans. Because, yeah, the Gentiles are evil, evil. Uh, they, they were shouting, Amen. You see, they were rabid. Just like that raccoon, they were rabid. Just like Paul was before he was knocked off his high horse. Right? Remember in the book of Acts, what we saw before he's knocked off his high horse? They detested the Gentiles. They detested, they call them dogs, the Gentile dogs. That's most of us here. Uh, like Jonah, he wanted them all, they wanted them all dead and in hell as soon as possible. That's what the, these, these, these radical Jews, how they saw the Gentiles. And they hunted and killed the Jews who put their faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, they hunted and killed them because he, they didn't fit their 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 law, right? They, they missed the whole point. They hunted and killed the Jews who put their faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Paul was one of the worst ones. He was the leader of the pack. He was the rabid leader of the rabid pack. He was one of the worst before the scales fell from his eyes. You remember in, in Acts when we did that? So Paul here is following up Romans 1. And he says something shocking to his fellow radical Jews. Not all the Jewish people, but the radical sect that he was part of. He says something to his fellow Jews. He takes a shot at them, which traumatizes them and freaks them out and, and, and adds gasoline to an already fire. And they're going to hunt him the rest of his life until they finally see him dead because of what he says here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for everyone who's here or, or, or listening out there somewhere, watching out there somewhere. We just pray for, for you to prepare us for communion through this passage and create in us a clean heart, Father. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Romans 2, and I'm going to read, the, the, read it for you first of all. I guess I'll use the screen to make sure I get the right version. But... Uh, Starting with verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. 
because, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up for wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged for the law, judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. <clears throat> Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the requirements. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So we see that Gentiles and Jews, it's not just the Gentiles in Romans 1, but Paul jumps off the cliff for these guys and says, and Jews are under God's judgment. We all need Jesus Christ, which is the rest of the Romans, as we're going to see as we keep moving. We all, Jews, Gentiles, Gentiles and Jews are under God's judgment. We all need Jesus Christ. And remember, he's writing to the Jews. He's writing to the Jews. Verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone Else, for at whatever point you judge the others, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's writing to the Jews now, okay? And, and, and he says, you are judging Gentiles, but you are just as bad. You are just as bad. Verse 5. In verse 5 it says, here we go. Uh, but be, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So he says, you're just as bad as the Gentiles. You're just as bad, even though you're judging them. But you can imagine what their re- response of a Jewish person was. But I'm a Jew. I'm God's chosen. Chosen frozen, right? I'm I'm special. I'm special. But look what Paul says in verse 9. He says it doesn't matter. He says there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. It doesn't matter. In fact, he's going to be stressing here that Gentiles who obey God's law are better off than Jews that disobey God's law. It's not enough to just know the law. You have to actually live it. And, and, he, and he, this is the whole point, what we're going to focus on today. It, it's not what you know, but what you do. A Gentile who follows God's law, Paul makes his argument, which was shocking to his Jewish audience. They're going to be okay. And you Jewish people who don't follow God's law are not going to be okay. And specifically those who are rejecting the Messiah, Jesus Christ, which is we're going to see as we go all the way through Romans here. Because it's not what you know, but what you do. And we're going to focus on this. Look at verses, start with verse 12 through 16. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. Remember that. 
all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin sin under law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. And so he's, he's stressing it's not what you know but what you do. Now, first of all, what this is not saying, some people with a quick reading of this, and some people even make this argument, they're saying that, well, you, you might think, if you just do your best with what you know about God, you will go to heaven. You could be, a, 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 based on that passage, if you read it improperly and just quick surface, you could be a native in some jungle worshiping a tree. Remember they used to always say, about, what about the natives in deep, dark Africa? Now we say, what about the, the, the Americans in the, you know, the deep city, you know, <laughs> don't hear the gospel, right? You know, it's, now we're in that place. But they, it's not like that native in some jungle worshiping a tree, but they're, they're still good enough to, to go to heaven somehow. That's not what this is saying. This is definitely not saying this. In fact, Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will be judged, will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. It, it, that's not what it's saying. Uh, the person who sins apart from the law in, is in the same boat as the person who sins under the law. It doesn't matter. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every one of us has fallen short. We, we are all in the same boat. There's only one way to be saved. Not to, by doing our best somehow, somewhere, wherever we are, but there's only one way to be saved. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is one way to be saved, and that is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. What about the person who's never heard? Well, wait till we get to Romans 10. Hang on to that, but I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter. If someone's truly seeking God, God will make sure that he, they find them. But no one is going to heaven without knowing Jesus Christ and putting their faith in him. And when we get to Romans 10, he tackles that tough, tough question. But uh, wait, just hang on for that. You can read ahead. It's okay. All right. Uh, what now? So he's not saying from this passage, Romans 2, 12 to 16, he's not saying, so I should do your best, you know, with the light that you have and, and you're going to go to heaven. It's God's going to understand. He's not saying that. What he might be saying, here's another option. What he might be saying, and this one I've, I've been wrestling with this passage with my son Matthew, who you know is our family theologian. And uh, <clears throat> he, you know, I, he, I, if I have a Greek question or a Hebrew question or a tough question, I wrestle with, through it with him. And he was giving me all the different positions. Saves me reading commentaries. He's a walking commentary. But anyway, uh, this might be saying these people have the moral law in their hearts here, but they're still not saved. That's another position. They have the moral law in their hearts. They're talking about here in 12 through 16, someone who has the moral law in their hearts, but they're still not saved. That, That in spite of the fall, we still, human beings still know basic right from wrong. They know 
most most people know it's wrong to kill someone or to lie. And and even though in our country now everything's relative, there's no right and wrong. It's all relative. Well, try doing something to those people who say that it's a relative. You know, take something of theirs. Hey, that's mine. Oh, well, it's relative. You know, you know, lie to them or cheat them or you know, run into their car. You know, right away. There, there's no relativity. You owe me something. What? There's no right and wrong. You know. So you know, so there's no such thing. Everybody deep down knows. Everybody deep down knows there's right and wrong, okay? And, and, and so it's possible that Paul is saying that Gentiles without the law, that's most of us, without the law still have traces of the law in our heart, the Ten Commandments. We still have that, the traces of in our heart. But once again, if, even if this was the, the right position on this, he's not saying that this law can save them. The law can save them. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will also, sin under the law will be judged by the law. He's not saying it can save them. Paul is dealing with the law and judgment here, not the gospel and salvation yet. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But what Paul is probably talking about here, probably saying is that he's probably talking about Gentiles who are Christian now. They're probably Christian. Now, I'm going to read it again and think in terms of these are Gentiles who are now Christians. And why it really has to probably be this. Listen to this. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under law will also be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. As my gospel declares, most likely, very, very likely, these are Gentile Christians that he's talking about. And he's trying to make a point. Hey, you Jews, you, you Jewish people who have rejected Jesus, you have the law, but you're lost. But these Gentiles who don't have the law, they have Jesus and they're not lost. And he's making that point to them. They, they, they have to be Gentile Christians because look what he said. They have a new nature here in these verses through Jesus Christ. You, you, only a born-again, Holy Spirit-empowered believer can obey the law. No one else can do it. If the whole Old Testament didn't teach us anything, it taught us anything, I should say, it taught us that no one can obey the law without Jesus Christ. And so these are clearly, uh, these are, they're, they're obeying the righteous requirements of law are written on their hearts. These are clearly believers that are born again. The Holy Spirit is inside of them. They, you know, and so that's what Paul is talking about. But, but the bottom line to this passage in these verses here, the bottom line, the whole point Paul is making to the Jews who are judging the Gentiles the whole point he's making to them, it doesn't matter what you know, it only matters what you do. And what you do better be obeying God's law. We must obey God's law. But the only way, and we're going to see this as we go through Romans 3 and the rest of the book of Romans, the only way that we can do this, the only way this is even possible, remotely possible, is to apply putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Where would you hear that before? Yeah. How many years do we spend in the book of Acts, right? But that 
that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ being born again and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can do it. And the rest of Romans drives that home. Just wait for Romans 3. We talk about righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. But this, this, is, this is the only way. This teaching, though, is not just for the Jews. What Paul is saying here is for us. The USA Today, Christians in the USA Today, it's for us today. Real faith is not shown by what we know, but what we, but how we live, what we do, how we live. Many, many times I'll, I, in ministry over all these years, I, I've talked to people and they say, some, I'll be talking to some about something biblical or what I'm going to be teaching. Say, I already know that. Nobody here has ever said that to me, but I, there's people who said that to me, believe it or not. Yeah, I, 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 always, I always say, yes, but are you living it? Are you living it? With my kids, you know, I do lots of Bible stuff with them. And a lot of times they I already know that story. I go, it's not a story. Are you living it? You know, you know, and I just tell my kids, I don't, it doesn't matter if you know it. Are, are you living it? And let me tell you, I live with you. You're not living it. You know, and, so I, you know, they, and then they point the finger back at me, right? Uh, so uh, I remember when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And oh, my gosh, the kids the number of times these teenagers would say to me i already know that you know especially the ones who went to christian schools you know they'd be like yeah and i love christian schools we're going to be sending our uh, youngest to one but 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 they tended to get jaded because they heard all the stories but they missed the whole point it's not knowing something it's living it and i'd say it doesn't matter if you know it i know you're not living it i'm your youth pastor you know and and it's just it's crazy it's, it's it, a lot of people i just know that i remember uh, uh, Years ago, a young woman came up to me and said, I want to talk to you. Uh, I just feel like your sermons aren't deep enough. They're just not deep enough. And, and, and as we started to process this conversation, and, and I said, listen, I'm trying to preach. i got lots of different people in the church, you know. We have people who aren't Christians yet. Then we got people who are baby Christians. Then people who are really mature Christians. And we try to hit everybody at once. So it might not always be quite deep enough for you. But as we get talking, she also had a problem with my, my uh, being against abortion. She, had, you know, she was really against abortion. You know, you're just so rabid about abortion. You know, why, you know what's the big deal about abortion? She was pro-choice. And, and she had, and, I, and I'm thinking, you have the nerve to tell me that, you know, I'm not deep enough when you can't even figure out a baby's a baby, you know, and you, know, you can't even figure out you can't kill a baby as a Christian, you know. And, and I go, you know, and I said, you know, how can I go any deeper with you if you don't even know a basic, you know, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, you know. And she just could not see that, you know, and, and, but that just shows you. She wants to go deeper, you know, but she doesn't even have the most basic level of spirituality. I don't even know if she's born again. I would question it. Seriously doubt it. Because how can you have the Holy Spirit and not know something that basic, right? How can you? Unless you're just completely under Satan's deception, right? But, but that's, faith isn't shown by what we know. It's how we live it. And so many times, you know, I already heard this passage, or I know that. No, are we living it? That, that is the key. So many Christians in the USA, nobody in our church, thankfully, but in the USA are what, you, what I call polywog Christians or tadpole Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Tadpole, polywog, whatever you use, it's the same thing. Uh, and the farm, one of the, our favorite things on the farm, we were catching at just last week, we were catching polywogs, tadpoles at the farm. And the kids were so excited because they had all these, there's 
tadpoles everywhere and they're catching them and scooping them up and we kept them in a bucket and some were bullfrog pollywogs so they're really big heads and they already had legs and arms and stuff and uh, they, they love catching them and they're so much fun because you can pick them up they don't have teeth they can't bite you know they all pick them up and they're squishy and and uh, they have these big giant heads but no bodies right no bodies james 122 says this in James 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Lots of polywag Christians. We, we, we listen to the word and we think we know it, but we're not doing what he says. There's so many spiritual tadpoles. All head, no heart. No spiritual muscle. You get my point? And that is the problem with, uh, with America. I think we, we have churches full of Hollywog, tadpole Christians. Uh, Kelvin and Hobbes. Anybody like Kelvin and Hobbes? Remember Kelvin? Wow, so much great theology in Kelvin and Hobbes. You almost don't need the Bible sometimes, right? But, uh, he, but he really did have some great theological points. But I, I didn't want to put it up because I didn't know if I would, they'd knock the thing off, my sermon off because I had to have you know, permission. But anyway, I'm going to read it. Uh, Calvin, little Calvin is talking to his teddy bear, which is now a tiger. He imagines it being a tiger. And it's just so funny. But he says, Hobbes. Calvin's little boy says to Hobbes, do you think our morality is defined by our actions or by what's in our hearts? Interesting. In the tiger, Hobbes says, I think our actions show what's in our hearts. And he walks away and Calvin says, I resent that. Because, you know, the kid's a, a bad kid, right? He said it was, it was classic. But isn't that the truth? It's the same thing with salvation. So many people think they're saved. They think they're going to go to heaven. They think they've received God's salvation because they know about Jesus. They think that that's, that's enough for them. Uh, they, they, that's what they think. But knowing the gospel, knowing about Jesus, even knowing the gospel is not the same about as being saved. So many people in the USA think they're Christians, but it's in their head, not in their heart. And, and you can tell by this, by the way people live or by their worldview. The way they live in their worldview. And it, 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 years ago, they called it, remember, Chuck, here's an easy believism. Remember that? Just, you know, Billy Graham gave a sermon, raise your hand, pray the prayer, you're, you're good to go. You know, now you can live any way you want. Uh, they called it easy believism. Uh, Billy Graham didn't preach that, but a lot of people took that, right? Uh, <clears throat> or I call it being inoculated to the true gospel. I got my, I got my, my vaccine, and now I don't need to worry about spiritual things anymore. You know, inoculated. So when they hear the true gospel, oh, that sounds a little too hard. That's a little too rough. I mean, I've got to repent <laughs> and put my faith in Jesus. Yeah, and, but I, I don't need to do that. I've already been inoculated, right? That, that's, that's what happens. And, and I, I talk, see, talk to so many people, and I'm like, you can't possibly have the Holy Spirit and live that way or think that way. It's impossible. None of us can. It, 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 there, and, and I... A lot of times you hear it referred to as six inches from heaven to hell. Six inches. Many people are six inches from heaven. Six inches. That's how far the brain is from the heart. Lots of people have it here, but they've never put their faith 
in Jesus Christ. They're six inches from heaven. Six inches. Knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing him. James, I did James 1.22 and James 2.19. James says this. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons aren't going to heaven. He says they know all about Jesus, but they're not going to heaven. Big deal. Look, and, and you look at the, the Jews that Paul was writing to. I was born special. My parents were Jewish. I never missed a Sabbath synagogue service, you know? Sound familiar? Many in the church today, we, we grow up in the church. Many people I know grew up in the church, but it never hit their hearts. And this is a test, and I always say this to, when people get upset with me. Go, you're not upset with me. You're upset with God's word. And, and when, when we, when, if biblical truth upsets us, if biblical truth upsets us, it's not the pastor's fault. It's not, you know, the teacher's fault. It's not, you know, whatever. It's nobody's fault. If it upsets us, it's exposing something. It's exposing something that you must be born again. Oh, I've had people get really upset with me about biblical things. Clear, clear teachings. But I always tell them, you, you are not born again. You must be born again. Because if you were born again, the Holy Spirit would, would that would be like smooth going down. The Holy Spirit wants the word. But if it hits you and grates you, don't focus on what I just said. Focus on being born again. That has to be your first step in your life is to be born again. Again, you must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was one of the top Jewish leaders, he says to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The word for born again means to be born from above. Just as you were born physically, you must be born spiritually. There has to be a spiritual birth. It happens. It's a one-time happening. You might not know exactly. You might not remember your birth, but you know it's happened. Verse 4 How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Born of water for your mother and born of the spirit spiritually. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born Again, listen to me. You must be born again. Wherever you are hearing this, you must be born again. There's, I hear people say to me all the time, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born again Christian. I go, well, and you're not a Christian because Jesus said you must be born again. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were born spiritually? And it's not just some, you know, it's just something, you know, yeah, in my head. No, no. When you were born physically, it was traumatic. You don't remember it, but let me tell you, your mother remembers it. It was traumatic. And you were slapped and you cried. I guess they don't do that anymore. But anyway, hey, yeah, yeah, it was traumatic. And when you are born again, when you really repent of your sin 
and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are being ripped out of the world. You are being ripped out of the world's womb. You are being ripped out of sin. Something is dying and something is coming alive. The Holy Spirit has come inside and, and there's, there's no mistaking it. There, there's a radical difference in your life. I tell this story all the time when I was a kid on the farm. You know, the, when I was little, most of you have heard this, but some of you haven't. When I was little, I had a pair of scissors. And I remember thinking, what would happen if I stick them into the electrical socket? And, and, and I found out. I don't remember it because I was unconscious. But my mom found me. She's screaming at me. And I didn't hear anything. I was charred fingers. You know, and she didn't have to ask, what did you do? She knew what I did. And when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in, and there is a difference. There's no mistaking it. And if people can't tell, guess what? You must be born again. And if, and if, you, and if you're having a hard time understanding the word or accepting the word, you must be born again. And there's one way to do that, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life you must put your faith in jesus christ and in the bible whenever you're putting your faith in christ there's two sides of the coin remember there's repentance from sin and there's faith in jesus christ his death on the cross and he died on the cross he took our sin he paid the price he was our substitute. His blood washed us clean. And the only way we can have that is we have to put our faith, our trust. The word in Greek means to put your trust in you. You cling to. Think of a little baby clinging to their parents. You know, you cling to. You're completely dependent on Jesus and what he did. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever taken that Step. You can, you can, have you ever been born again? You can do that right now. We're going to pray in just a minute. You can do that even while we're talking. It's in your, it's in, you know, believe in your mind and put your faith in your heart in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. Right now. And as Christians, as we get ready for communion here, how are we ready for communion with Jesus Christ? Here's a key test, a key indicator. Are you a polywog Christian? A tadpole Christian or a frog? Easy picture. Are you a polywog or a frog? Do you got hops? Spiritual hops? You see, a tadpole, once again, is all head knowledge. Are we, are, this is a test of we're living in communion. We're, if, if we're all just head knowledge, but there's no body, we're all, we're, we're all head knowledge. A tadpole lives in the mud. Still living in the world? Uh, eats rotting vegetables, eats rotting vegetation at the bottom of the creek or the pond. Are you still eating the world's garbage? Uh, it, it, they're easy to catch, easy to catch. But but frogs, we, we caught lots, hundreds of polywogs, but we only caught two frogs. You know why? It's hard to catch a frog. It's hard. They're fast. They've got muscle. They're on their guard. They can eat for themselves. They don't need to look for rotten vegetation. They're out catching bugs and, and stuff. They're, they're hunting. Even fish, they're hunting, right? They feed themselves. And, and that's, that, are you a polywog or a frog? And, and one of the frogs we caught only had three legs. Probably a raccoon grabbed a hold of it because raccoons love frogs. That's like candy to them. Toads and frogs, candy. Candy. He only had three legs. But you know what? 
he was still hard to catch. We barely got him. He was, he was still hopping. And, and, and that's, that's us. We, 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 are we a frog? Uh, even with our scars? Anybody here have scars? Even with our scars? Uh, even with our struggles that we're still facing on a daily basis, we have to keep hopping by God's mercy and grace. What Josh talked about last week, God's mercy and grace and communion with Jesus Christ. What we do with communion is we have it up front. We have the, the, the broken up crackers and the, the, the grape juice, but we also have prepackaged up there. If you're more comfortable using the prepackaged stuff, we just uh, Todd's going to lead us into some worship, and you come up and take it and go back. Uh, how we take it, Todd will lead us in that, but you'll just say when you're ready kind of a thing. But there's two reasons why we shouldn't. If we've never put our faith in Jesus Christ, or if there's something in our life we won't surrender to him. Maybe we're still eating some garbage and we won't give it up, you know. But, but I hope that if you never put your faith in Jesus, you do that today. You're born again today. And if there's something you need to get out of the mud from, get out of the mud. Because anyone can take communion. But it's between you and God. It's totally between you and God. Let's pray. For those of us who are Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we, are we in close communion? Are we a polywog or a frog? What do we, what, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about making that transformation to the frog, to spiritual maturity? What specifically do we need to do to grow spiritually? Maybe it's being discipled, mentored. Maybe it's joining a Bible study. Maybe it's talking to a brother or sister in Christ and dealing with something that's holding us back. Maybe we're wounded, we're missing that leg, and we need some healing. Maybe it's a Christian counselor. What, whatever it is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking? Would you make that commitment? But especially we know it's that we need to spend time with Jesus, communing with him. Maybe you're here or listening to this, watching this, and you can't commune yet because you've never been born again. Are you ready? Maybe you're living in the mud, the world's mud, in the garbage. Are you ready to really live, to be set free? The first step is putting your faith in Jesus Christ being born again and you can do that right now in your heart in your mind and in your heart simple prayer of faith but but it's powerful it will change your heart your life forever God I repent I repent of all the garbage and sin and shame and lies and following Satan. I repent. I put my faith in Jesus.
give my life to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for every person who's putting their faith in you right now that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. A powerful way. Transform each and every one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we commune with you on a daily basis, starting today and on a daily basis, spending time with you, pray that in Jesus' name.